0: And the fans started peeling out of the stadium to go home, so they missed the traffic. And people started turning their televisions off, and they gave up. And the Chiefs kicked a field goal literally with seconds left in the game, tied the game, and then went on to win it in overtime. And there is a metaphorical lesson there for people who are watching the stock market. It happened on Friday. It's very easy to get depressed watching the stock market and watching your portfolio values go down. The team comes through and wins the game at the last minute on the last day of the week, which is what happened this week. And the lesson there is, for lack of anything better to say, hang in there. This economy is in great shape. We're going to talk about that.
1: Once more onto the breach, dear friends.
0: Else fill the wall up with our English dead.
1: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another, at least semi-sorta-quasi, exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will talk about such things as digital. Uh,
0: digital versus crypto,
1: cryptocurrencies. Yes, and other things like inflation and exciting things that you can talk to your kids about, like supply and... Demand. I'm trying to make it exciting. It's just...
0: Well, no, we're going to talk about sports today.
1: Oh, You're going to talk about sports? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to... The
0: Kansas City Chiefs won a football game.
1: I, I didn't even know they were a football team.
0: I know you didn't, and I didn't either until I read it, but it's... Well, actually, I did know because I went to college right outside Kansas City.
1: So you did know that they were a football team?
0: Yeah, and I used to work at a radio station, and I was the guy who sat there and played the commercials when they had broadcast.
1: Okay, so we're going to talk about sports. So, uh, fair warning, we're going to give some di- disclosures in advance, but the number one disclosure is that um, we know very little about sports, and we're going to talk about them this hour. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, all right. Which, <clears throat>
0: which is a lot of what we do is we talk an awful lot about something we don't know a lot about because no. even though in my case – for 40 years, I have been studying a subject. I've concluded that the more I study it, the less I know about
1: it. Right, which is the very good expert qualification is when you've been studying it a long time and still you you say you've got a lot more to know than you will ever know about it, it means you're an expert. If you say, say, I got it, I got this, this is easy, I, I understand this subject, that means you are not an expert.
0: <laughs> I know... The more you study on something like that, the more you're aware that you don't know. And the problem is that what I'm learning, what I learn over the years is arithmetic. It adds up. However, what I become aware of that I don't know
1: is exponential.
0: Uh, is exponential. It's multiplying so that when I finally die, I will drown in a sea of ignorance.
1: You got a life raft or something? At least take like an encyclopedia as a life raft, it, it will Wikipedia. help.
0: Wikipedia. Wikipedia helps okay, on a lot. your
1: smartphone. Yes. Yeah. So this is the Personal Wealth Coach and we actually do have some real disclosures to give in advance. Number 1 yeah. is that the the Personal Wealth Coach is not just the name of this radio program. It is also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. And the people that it are is? talking on it on the program are the principals at that firm. So having said that, what does it mean? Well, fiduciary advice is given through an investment advisory firm. And you can't do that on the radio. It'd be really nice if you could, but it would have to be a radio with just one listener because privacy issues are important. It would um, have to be encrypted too. Yes, encrypt it and, and all that good stuff. So what we're giving on the radio is not fiduciary investment advice. It's education. Uh, we're gonna talk about what things mean and how things fit in our economy and what we should be looking for as far as what's what's got growth potential and what doesn't as far as the economy goes. We'll talk about investing and some principles of all that good stuff, but this is not investment advice. It's education. Not only that, we don't pay for the radio program, but we don't get paid for the radio program. So this is not paid commercial advertisement. We've been looped into this. I've been doing this for 24 years now on the radio and you've been doing it for 25 maybe 26 you found a tape from 1996 yeah um so 24 and combined about half a century on the radio talking about investments in a non-paid capacity we're trying to help people i hope (laughs) i really hope this is helping people i really really do uh but you've got some other stuff you want to tell us some more
0: Oh, I can do my favorites one. my favorite one. Um, The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
1: There. Good. I missed something from the last disclosure. We do advertise on KTEM, which is the radio program is on that, but we advertise strictly for the radio program.
0: And so does KTM advertise for the radio program.
1: That's correct. So we are looking at this very definitely as an education opportunity.
0: What you're trying to say is, Senator, there was no quid pro quo.
1: Correct. Senator, it sounds so much better in pig Latin. Um, Senator, there was no Ibery Bay bribery. Oh. oh, You see what I did? This is like a direct translation of quid pro quo. It's like, that's what you want to say when you don't want to have bribery labeled over your conversation. It wasn't quid pro quo. Okay. I wasn't being paid to do a thing I wasn't supposed to do. Oh, yes. Well, what we're saying is there's no bribery or quid pro quo in our radio program. And if you disbelieve, we'll pay you in Reese's peanut butter cups to get you to shut up. Oh, okay. wait a minute. Ah,
0: idque oh pray,
1: Are you oh pigway? You just made Latin into pig Latin? Yes, I did. Oh my, yes, you are telling the whole world who we are. There's not going to be a surprise in any of you that are listening when we go into the drivel that we normally talk about, about economics. So you have been warned. We've already begun with pig Latin on Latin. Latin. right?
0: I actually, I don't think, maybe this has never been done on the radio before. Latin spoken in pig Latin.
1: Yes. Um, We could start a meme. Okay, so what happened in the market this week? A lot, a lot. obviously.
0: Um, last couple of weeks, the market has been interesting. It has been bipolar, and it's been a battleground between the Bears and the Bulls. And it was, if, if you didn't have skin in the game, see, we're talking about sports here again.
1: Skin it in would, a game. This Skin <laughs> in the game. What if it's been, somebody else's skin that you have in the game?
0: That makes it worse.
1: This is just really Um, gross. This is gladiatorial arena that we're talking about with skin in the game?
0: Ouch. We have fiduciary responsibility for their skin in the game.
1: Okay. All right. So it
0: makes it even more nervous-wracking. Anyway, the market has surged up and down. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, John sent us an interesting question that had to do with this. You've got to give
1: him his title.
0: uh, Oh, I forgot to say. Inquisitor. We We forgot something. Yes. The market has been down this year. It's a matter of fact, the S&P 500 is down about 7% for the year. Um, after, but, it, but it's up at the end at the close Friday. It was up uh, 19.32% from a year ago. So the fact that it's down 7%, people are upset about that. But folks, a 19% gain in 12 months, don't knock it. Um, but the interesting thing happened on uh, a lot of ups and downs, Uh the, 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 the S&P 500 has sunk to within a couple of tenths of a point of being officially in a correction on two occasions. Uh, and then it comes back. It's kind of like, oop, there's 10%. Let's go the other way. And I really think that's what's happening. I think there's some people out there watching the S&P 500. And when it gets almost into a correction, they say this is the opportunity and they buy. And it comes back up. And But Friday was the fascinating day. It was the SP 500 was down for the week, down for the day, the beginning on Friday and sliding downward and as, as it has done all week. It sometimes surges in upward at the beginning of the day and then it kind of dies towards the end of the day. And that's what it's been doing all week. Friday was a weird one. I loved it though. It started off sliding downward. Looks like it was going to continue what it's been doing for the last three weeks. Uh, and then it suddenly started up. And from the bottom Monday in the middle of the day, it soared 3.1% to close at 44, 31.85, up 0.71% for the week, which doesn't sound like much until you realize that this is the third week and and it's been going down all this time. And suddenly it closed on Friday. Now, Fridays are at the end of the day are important times because obviously there's going to be a couple of days they can't trade in the market and news is going to come out and the traders get kind of antsy at that. And, but it surged back and, and it's like, and I don't, please don't confuse me with somebody who knows a lot about team sports, but it's like the Kansas city Chiefs versus the Buffalo bills, Buffalo bills. No, whoever it was, I didn't know who they were playing. There was a team um, that
1: was playing another team and one of the teams was yeah. winning.
0: Kansas city chiefs are famous for losing a lot of games recently and, and snatching defeat from the teeth of victory on a regular basis. And last week, they did something interesting. Into the it, the game was almost the, the, the game was almost over. There were literally seconds left in the game. The Chiefs looked like they were going to lose, and the fans started peeling out of the stadium to go home. So they missed the traffic, and people started turning their televisions off, and they gave up. And the Chiefs kicked a field goal at the literally with seconds left in the game, tied the game, and then went on to win it in overtime. And there is a metaphorical lesson there for people who are watching the stock market. It happened on Friday. It's very easy to get depressed watching the stock market and watching your portfolio values go down. The team comes through and wins the game at the last minute on the last day of the week, which is what happened this week. And the lesson there is, for lack of anything better to say, hang in there. This economy is in great shape. We're going to talk about that. So, the Standard Poor's 500, as I said, uh, closed at 4431.85, up 0.71 for percent for the week. Seven down 7 percent for the year to date, but up 19.32 from a year earlier. Now we also follow another index, another stock index, the CRSP U.S. Midcap Value Index. Um, it was only up 0.21 percent for the week. But this is the important thing: it was only down 3.98 percent so far this year, and better yet. For one year, it's up 21.47%. Why is that important? Mid-cap value is radically different from large-cap growth, and large-cap growth is what drives the S&P 500. So these mid-sized companies that are priced generally below their breakup value did better over the last 12 months than the S&P 500 did. That is a very healthy indicator in the market, and there's a rotation going on as people leave large-cap growth and they move into smaller value-oriented stocks. That's a very healthy thing to do, and it it is reaffirming to us. you got your hand up like you want to say something.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to throw out there, this, just because we're talking about the market to this point. And those of you that have listened for a lot of years will recall that we've talked about the indexes and what they are and that the vast majority of the indexes that are being talked about, whether it's the Dow or the S&P or... Uh, the NASDAQ, NASDAQ not so much. The other ones are made by media corporations. They're made by magazine companies, by newspapers, to to give you something that they can give in a headline. The market did this because of an index. One of the things that we really like about the CRSP indexes is that they're made by the Chicago Booth School of Business. It's the University of Chicago. It's an academic uh, organization that's just tracking stocks for academic purposes we like that now at some point now that we've said that i gotta knock on wood because they could turn around and sell to a big company but as of right now it's a not-for-profit arm of an academic institution which is a really nice way of not having um kind of media influence on when we're looking at the market
0: Another thing about it is there is no CRSP mid-cap value fund or ETF or anything else. So uh, we're not – one of the things we try to stay – there are S&P 500 index funds, and we can't get away from that. And there are some
1: CRSP index funds. Some of them are rather large, but they're for the really large indexes.
0: Right, but not for the mid-cap value. Right. Although – Frankly, there are some index funds that follow it, but they don't advertise that they're following it. So anyway, that's beside the point. Um, the, the thing that was driving this almost correction that we've had for the last couple of weeks pretty clearly is a, is a very serious fear among investors that the Federal Reserve Board will, will hike interest rates hugely at some point and wreck the economy and put us back into recession, which they have done in the past. Do we think that's likely to happen this time around? No, and let me tell you why. The uh, the chairman of the Fed and members of the Fed in their speeches have said over and over again, we don't want that to happen. So we're not we're going to do everything we can to keep that from happening. Being crazy and suddenly hiking interest rates and plunging the economy into recession and overreacting to this.
1: If, if you go back in history, go back in time to when. The Fed has raised rates too fast and look at what they were saying at the time. They were saying things like, We gotta get ahead of this, we're gonna get it nipped in the bud and other really forceful things of we're gonna get it and we know we might put us into a recession, but we don't care we're gonna do it anyway. Literally they say it in Fed's Peak. They're not saying that today. It's a big difference. They're saying, Hey, yeah. we don't wanna go back into a recession. We're trying to work on not being in a recession.
0: And you actually pick that up by listening to the a news conference, well, are reading what they say in the news conference. There is concerned about unemployment as they are about inflation, which is a crucial difference between this Fed and old Feds gone by. So, if you plunge the economy into recession, you have uh, the 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 Fed would raise unemployment rates pretty dramatically. And since they're very pointedly not trying to raise unemployment rates, I don't think it's very likely that they will plunge us into recession. Uh, as a side note, before we go into the Treasury notes and so on, I'm also pretty well convinced that this inflation bout that they're struggling with right now will pretty much be over by the end of the year. And we'll see how that works out. But I I am comfortable with what Janet Yellen said about it, which is that inflation will die down to around 2% by the end of the year. Anyway, the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, which is, Part of why I say this about inflation, it ended the week at 1.778%. That's below 2%. It's higher than it has been, but it's below 2%. It's up 0.7% since last week. So it's risen a little bit. The yield curve continues to be comfortably steep with the 30 year bond yielding 2.083%. Um, so the, in case you don't know what that means, the, when the yield, when the treasury yield curve is positively sloped, which means that longer-term bonds are paying higher interest than shorter-term bonds, notes, and bills. That is an indication that the collective wisdom of the bond market traders and buyers and sellers uh, is that we have better economic times ahead, and and it is
1: positive. We're going to put another little disclaimer out there. When we say collective wisdom of anyone in the market, any market, we always have air quotes around wisdom. (laughs) <laughs> According to the collective air quote wisdom air quote of the market, yeah, well, this so wisdom is not necessarily what we believe it to be, but they believe it to be, and their consensus it? is that the economy looks good.
0: It was the Secretary of the Treasury under Bill Clinton said when I a oh, Reuben Robert yeah. Reuben yeah he said when I if I if I die and am resurrect and 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 have a new uh, come back if I. Not um, resurrect. That's not looking reincarnated. For. I'm reincarnated. I want to be reincarnated as the bond market.
1: Everybody's afraid of it. <laughs> that's true. Uh, it's complicated and it's silly. But basically, what we're seeing is that when the yield curve, when the longer-term bonds have lower interest than the shorter bonds, that's a bad sign. We're not seeing that at all. It means that there's still a rational approach to the longer you have your money at risk. Um, the more you'll charge to have that money at risk. So interest rates should be higher for longer maturities. When, if you give somebody a, an IOU that's going to last 12 years, it's different than borrowing 20 bucks that you're going to give them back tomorrow. Most people don't charge interest on that short alone.
0: One of the surest signs, and it's not 100%, it's missed once that I know of, that we are headed for a recession is when the yield curve becomes inverted, when short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates. And when that happens, it's an almost recession, even the time it missed. But inevitably, we wind up in a recession with with that one exception. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil joined in the climb. It rose about 3% to $87.25 per barrel. Why? Um, Well, there's some supply issues. There's some kind of altercation heating up and some uncomfortableness in the uh, Southwest Asia area, I don't know something's going on a little something's going on in Eastern Europe and, and, and demand. By,
1: by, we don't know we're actually looking at this. We've got South Korea and North Korea are still a hot spot. We got Taiwan and China still a hot spot, and then we have Ukraine that's still a hot spot.
0: Don't forget Kazakhstan
1: and Kazakhstan as well. yeah, they are in the middle of
0: and Kazakhstan of is is a supplier of oil, and if Russia were to uh, invade Ukraine and we did a big chomp off on them, then they are a major supplier of oil and theoretically their oil would be banned or something. Anyway, that's the price of oil is going up for that. But the primary reason price of oil is going up is there's not a lot of new production coming online, very little actually at this point. And the economic forecast of the major oil trading companies is that we will have an economic rebound in the second quarter of this year. And the economy, particularly in the United States, but throughout the rest of the world, will start to recover very nicely and charge ahead. And people will be burning a lot of oil, charging ahead, flying airplanes, driving cars, and doing things that they do like that. So the price one. And and they're estimating uh, several uh, oil companies and economists in general are estimating $100 per barrel oil prices this summer. Now, what does that mean to you? Be prepared for the fact that gasoline ain't going to get cheap soon it's going to get probably more expensive yeah and it's no government involvement here it's
1: just sort of government involvement in that they're the governor government of russia and the uh is looking over at ukraine well that's going to have some price issues if you look at the government of kazakhstan um looking at protesters that's going to cause issues so governments are involved just not as a not as like a rational
0: it's not like the United States is somehow raising the price of oil. Now they've they've done that in Europe, where the price of oil is price of gasoline is absurd, and it's absurd because they put so much taxes on it. Uh, they pay more for a quarter for a quart than we do for a gallon by a long shot.
1: I'm sorry, they call those leaders there, not quarts. They're just quarts. funny quarts. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're funny quarts. They're like quarks. Um, anyway, well, that's what's been going on in the markets, and one of the reasons I think we're not going to have. Significant inflation into the future is the 10- and 30-year Treasury securities are selling just below and just above 2%. Yeah. If the people who are buying Treasury bonds and notes and bills and things like that really thought that there was a threat of long-term inflation, you would see the the note go, the 10-year note, I well remember when it used to be steady at 6%. Why was it steady at 6%? Because the general forecast in the market was that inflation was going to run at 6% for the foreseeable future. And the market, the bond market is saying this inflation is temporary. And I tend to agree with
1: it. I I, will, I mean, we've talked about that in some detail. We'll probably talk about it some more this hour because uh, I'm sure a lot of people heard that and said, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. We look at 7% inflation. It's true. We, we have that. We're not trying to say it it isn't there. Give us some time later on. We'll talk about inflation and why we think it's shorter term than longer term. Uh, But we've got some questions or a question for sure. Uh, Inquisitor John. We've got a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, One of the things we talked about it in the first part of the first hour of the market. But this week's market is a bit. More unusual than most. It was all over the place. Uh, it was down. It was up. And big swings down and up. 5% movements in a given day. Big volatility back and forth. What was the reason for that? What caused that much volatility? We haven't seen this style of volatility for like a year, which to most people seems like an eternity. What 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 is your input into why we had the volatility that we had?
0: Well, there was a basically, well, it's a little bit
1: complicated, but... Can I give a simple version and you can go give the the complicated one? Sure. Okay. I was asked this by quite a number of clients over the past week and a half or so. What's the Fed going to do in its meeting? Because they just had a meeting this week. And I said, well, they're going to do what they said they were going to do. They're going to tell us again that they're going to raise rates by about a quarter percent in March and they say, I don't think so, or are you sure? I've been reading all these articles. The Federal Reserve's job, it's one of its primary uh, forces, is to not surprise the market. They were given an extra layer of responsibility when it comes to the marketplace in the in the uh, recovery, the Dodd-Frank bill, the coming out of the Great Recession, Dodd and Frank thought it was important that the Federal Reserve would calm sentiment in the market. So what they do, and they institute this practice, and you'll, you'll hear about it, is that they um, release the minutes of their meetings. They didn't used to do that. For those of you who have followed the Federal for a long time, it was a big deal when they did. They started telling us what they were talking about. The actual conversation that took place in those meetings was always secret. Well, now the minutes are released, and they have conferences in advance, sometimes a lot of them, to tell us what they're going to tell us before the actual official announcement. And they've had no less than eight non-official official official announcements saying what they were going to do this week. But if you read the stories in the newspapers... There was no certainty, and the Federal Reserve might turn around and raise rates right now this very instant and and put us into another recession, look at all the times they've done it in the past, and fear, 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 and the Federal Reserve has been saying again and again and again, we're not going to raise rates till March. It'll be a small one. We're not sure about after that, maybe two, maybe three in the year, maybe more. We'll wait and see, but one's enough for now. And that, to some extent, calmed the volatility at the end of the week. So what's your complicated answer?
0: Well, professional investors and the people who've been in it for a while do a lot of number crunching to figure out what stocks are worth. And it's it's a present value calculation. Basically, the lower interest rates are, the more the present value is on a stock. If you're calculating based on estimated earnings into the future. That's a little complicated, but that's the way it's done by the professionals. And when interest rates were clearly going to rise a little bit, professionals said, well, that makes the future, that makes the present value of Apple and Microsoft and the companies that are priced in the market according to their estimated future earnings. What happens when they, that means their price is worth a little less based on future earnings. So they sold off some of their stock, And said the price is the future. The the future value of this is probably a little less than we had calculated before because interest rates are different. Well, they sold a little bit, but there's a lot of people in the market, and and the market is not moved by the majority of people that are invested in the market. The market is moved on the margin by a relatively small number of people, and there's a lot of people in the market in this bull market as there were in the 1990s who literally don't know common stock from livestock and they're new to investing, and they get really excited, and they look at bits in history, and they read a lot on social media, and people who are writing in social media who say, we know what we're talking about, really don't know what they're talking about either. The end result is when that slight decrease in present value occurred that the professionals were accounting for, It moved the market down a little bit, and it caused a mass panic among the amateur, relatively new investors in the market, some of whom claim to be professionals at this point. And when they started selling, and they talked about it on Reddit and how I'm selling right now, and it came up on MarketWatch, and it came up on all the sudden, sensational news media that's in the digital world, a lot of people started selling. And when they started selling, the market started down. That caused a lot more people to sell. But that same set of algorithms that the professionals are using said, okay, at this point, the, this, the current value of all these stocks we're looking at has dropped below what we say is the appropriate current value. It's gone back into a buy position where it's a bargain to buy it now based on what we know about future earnings, what we think we know about future earnings. So they started buying again. And so you saw the seesaw back and forth between Relatively inexperienced, mostly amateurs selling, and experienced professionals buying, and it was a battle back and forth between the bears and the bulls. Basically, the long-term professionals are uniformly long-term bullish right now, and the amateurs and new folks in the market who think they're geniuses uh, are turned bearish. And so there was this battle went on, and then when the news stopped being a rumor and started being reality, the bears kind of said, maybe it's not as bad as we thought. And they stopped selling and the bulls didn't do anything spectacular. They just pushed the market back up to where they felt like, like it was a fair value. And that's, what's been going That's in my opinion, what went on all week in the markets.
1: Right. Um, it's often called the buy the dip mentality. And, Uh, The Financial Times has a good article on this, uh, and it talks about three different people, Bill Gross, Bill Ackman, and Kathy Wood, um, which are about, Bill Gross is about, he's constantly calling for the end is nigh, the stock market is about to collapse, because he's a bond manager, and that's what makes bonds do well. And then the opposite end of that is Kathy Wood, the ARC investor the one that was all about the new meme stocks and the, all the big growth things and i bet you're going to guess that they have different ideas on what the future holds <laughs> one of them says that the market is past its heyday that uh, bill gross who's the bond guy has said that the buy the dip, buy the dip mentality is dead it, it's been destroyed in the marketplace that is his quote in the financial times And Kathy Wood says, this is just the beginning, that we're going to see more of this into the future. The reality is somewhere in the middle, just like it always is. The media is going to look at the extremes and you got people that don't care about what they're buying as long as it goes up or don't care about what they're selling as long as it goes down. The reality is the vast majority of investors are in it because they believe in what they're invested in or they have an idea of what they're going to use the assets for, and it doesn't have to do with taking massive withdrawals tomorrow, but rather funding income or something along those lines that lasts a much longer period of time. So what you were, you've said this all week, and I think it's great. It's the bulls and the bears fighting. And every time I talk to you this week, you mentioned it again. The bulls and the bears are still fighting.
0: You've got another name that I know wasn't in the Financial Times Article, but Gary Schilling should be in there because he's been a lot in the news if you're reading financial magazines.
1: Sure. I, but I also think Jamie Dimon should have been in there to be more of the centrist position. Sure. Because Schilling is always talking about. Well,
0: no, that's what I'm talking about is Schilling. Schilling is famous because he's called every major bear market. He's 82 years old. I think he's called every major bear market accurately.
1: He's the not missed is, one his entire career.
0: He is always calls, calling for a major bear right. market. And he's he, even produced an index that says the market has is. Dramatically overpriced, which gets reported at least once a day in something I read. Yeah, uh, there's the the shilling something or another it's, index.
1: It's the sh- the uh, shilling price to earnings uh, ratio. Yeah. The Basically, the shilling index is a real estate thing. It's a different thing.
0: Gary Schilling has shown that the market is extremely overvalued and has been since 1982. Because so you gotten the, out of the market in 1982 because it was overvalued when the Dow Jones industrial average was at two thousand or three thousand, and you'd still be waiting to get back in for it to fall back down to the level that Gary Schilling thinks is appropriate,
1: yeah. by the
0: way, that entire time he's been invested in stocks
1: yeah just just as a as as a statement on that the the Schiller is what you're talking about, I think Schiller Schilling. is that where you I tried right it schiller gary schiller um so you're the right? the Schiller price to earnings ratio. It looks back at the average earnings over the last 10 years. It's not looking forward at all. And it says, based on that, is this company overpriced? If you look forward, you get a different number. Because if you look at you know, Tesla, for instance, look at its tenure in the past, it's not got good things going for it. And you could easily say that's overpriced. But they keep hitting record earnings. I absolutely am not recommending Tesla right now, by the way. I think it is over overpriced. But it's a good example of you would never, ever be able to look at a marketplace and understand it if you were only looking at the past, not at what they're trying to create in the future. If a company's coming out with a new thing, the iPhone, for instance, and you looked at Apple's price-to-earnings ratio average over the last 10 years, you would say, whoa, that thing's way overpriced. It's just only gotten two quarters of good earnings over this iphone thing well the reality is there was a new product that everybody wanted to buy and that they continued to want to buy and it's changed the outlook so there's always bearish sentiment and schiller is famous for it because he's gotten every single bear market right he's called every single bear market but he's he's called all the bulls he's called five bears for every bear that happened though and that's the deal is that If you wanna hear him talk about the bear that's coming, just talk to him on any day. And we need that, this is important. We need people who are constantly saying, shore up your assets, take the profits that you can, because that's part of being a professional too. But you also need a little bit of risk taking to say, I think that's gonna do better than it did in the past. And the reality is we have an average of those two. We don't have constant bear markets. We have bear markets occasionally. We don't have constant bull markets. We have bull markets occasionally. We're still in a bull market, and we came close to a correction. We came close to Gary's that 10% drop.
0: It is Gary Schilling, by the way.
1: Uh, I think Gar- okay, Gary Schilling isn't... Okay. I'm talking about somebody completely different. Huh. Okay. Yeah, he's a registered investment advisor guy that's always talking about... Ray Dalio is also right in the middle, he's a big RIA fellow who's saying things might be a bit overpriced, look for a downturn, and he said that in the end of December. Uh, But I would actually invite those of you that are listening now to go back to our end of December and beginning of January. We had a couple of reruns play in there. Go back to mid-December and hear us talk about this could be the correction we've been expecting, because we did expect it and look at this. it looks like it's an important thing to have happen. This is we talked about this a little bit last week. Corrections are necessary. downturns in the market, you absolutely have to have them because we're not collectors. as investors, we're not just collecting trading cards cards. we're trying to own something that's creating profit. not just have the ownership appreciate, but actually own something that's creating things that people want to buy. And during the, the big downturn in 2020 when the market crashed and the meme stocks were born and a lot of money flowed in, a bunch of people that didn't, have never been in stock trading before that are suddenly the new experts. You mentioned this in the reference to the dot-com bubble. It looked just the same in the late 90s. A lot of people that never done it before that are making huge amounts of profits so they must suddenly be experts. This, it's generational. It happens every generation. We have this happen. This is what's just happened. And we gave a lot of warnings back then. Oh, this is not the way the market works. You can prop it up for a while. But at some point, people actually want to see profits being made. Well, the Wall Street Journal just did a big article on the meme stocks. We're now a year after the the peak in the meme stocks. By the way, the peak in the meme stocks was January 28th of 2021. So we're almost exactly a year later and we've seen a drastic difference. The whole year of 2021, which was phenomenally good for the majority of the market, really was not good for the meme stocks. And you, you talk about this as the normal market rotation where people getting out of tech and getting into value and so on. The reality is that it comes back to if you really are thinking long term and you say, I want this investment to last me through into retirement and I want to make sure that what I own isn't flying up and down all the time because how am I going to make it to retirement with that? I want to own a part of the economy, not guess which part of the economy is about to take off or which one's about to fail, but own a part of the economy. That's the normal, that's the vast majority of people that invest. They just stick it in there and say, this is for long term. We keep getting these waves of people that think, no, I can make it all now. And that almost always ends in disaster. And it hasn't ended, and that's the thing. I shouldn't say it ends in disaster. Ending implies that time stops. You can always learn from your mistakes and figure out what you really are trying to accomplish. Uh, And I'm, My major hope, it's the same one that I had in 2020 and 2021 when we were talking about this, is that this doesn't burn these new investors so thoroughly that they just completely get out of investing and say that it's a rigged game or something. Anytime people say it's a rigged game, they're trying to get rid of AMC or they're trying to get rid of GameStop and they're rigging the game against us. People on Wall Street want to make profits just like the individual investors do. It's not a rigged game. It's like, that company's not making profits, so why would I own it? Anyway, and we're about out of time. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail waiting during the weekend, real-life people during the week, locally at 254-947-1111, or toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can Sign up for our newsletter there, read about our philosophy, read our newsletter. You can listen to recordings of the radio program, but you can go anywhere for that as well. Any place that offers podcasts, we are there. Look for the personal wealth coach or TPWC Uh, and email us directly at Jeff or Jake at TPWC.com.